Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you're glad to be here this morning, would you say amen? Amen. I'm glad to be here as well. I want to ask you this morning if you would take God's word and open it with me to Matthew chapter 26 for this morning's message and for our time together here today. Today, as we open God's word, most of the time when we gather, we look at one primary passage of scripture, and I ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. But today's a little bit different. God's word is still God's word, and we still respect it, and it still, of course, has authority. But I want to remind us today uh, to let us know that as we study God's word, we're going to be taking several snapshots from the life of Simon Peter, which means in our time together today, we're going to turn to five different passages of scripture. So instead of playing popcorn and having you stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, I'm going to ask you... This morning, we're in our last sermon in our series called Failing Forward. Failing Forward, where we've been studying the life of Simon Peter, frankly, an individual who was used so greatly by God, it is easy for us to assume that he must have always been this incredible servant of the Lord. When we consider the way that he preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved, when we consider the fact that he was a disciple of Jesus and part of, if you will, the big three, that he was an apostle of Jesus who witnessed the resurrected Christ, that he was an author of two books of the Bible in First and Second Peter. It's easy for us to look at these incredible moments and just assume he was always this dynamic, strong warrior for the Lord that never messed up along the way. But the truth is this. The more you dig into his background and the more you learn about his story, the more we realize he failed at times. And truth be told, he failed a lot. In fact, as we've gone through the sermon series, I have found myself every week thinking, what did he do this time, right? What did he do this week? What was the next failure in his life? And yet in the midst of these things, I believe what God is showing us is that he is bigger, God is bigger and greater than even our biggest failures. We don't have to be defined by our failures, but defined by what God does in our lives, even in the midst of our failures. Because oftentimes it's in our failures that we realize that we need the Lord. It's often in our times of low points that we realize we've got to lift our eyes to the hills from where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. This does not condone our selfish and sinful choices, nor does it minimize the mistakes that we make. But it does remind us that even when we get to those low places, God is still there and he's still full of mercy and compassion and grace and he's still calling us back to himself. In fact, I believe we see in Jesus's interactions with Simon Peter after he failed so miserably, I think we find that not only does Jesus have compassion and mercy, but he's also even pursuing us. Like the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and realized that one was missing and one was lost. The Bible tells us that good shepherd made sure the 99 were taken care of and then he went to find that one lost lamb. Why? Because the shepherd was pursuing even that lost sheep. I'm reminded this morning that that is not reckless love, but it is unconditional, faithful, and unfailing love. And that's the love that Jesus has for every single one of us, even when we have failed. I believe God is showing us in this illustration of Simon Peter that even in our lowest points, God is still there and he's still willing to take us back and wanting us to be in right relationship with him. This morning, as we look at this final failure, I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, a failure of fear, a failure of fear. I imagine this morning that every single one of us have experienced at some measure fear in our lives. In fact, there is no limit to the sources of things in our life that can cause us fear and that we might be afraid of. I imagine that most of us can relate to some of these. For example, arachnophobia is the fear of spiders. Anybody there? Aphidiophobia is the fear of snakes. Anybody there? Yes. Acrophobia is the fear of heights. Maybe you can relate. Aerophobia is the fear of flying. I'm not afraid of it, but I sure pray a lot when I'm on an airplane. Nyctophobia is the fear of the dark. Maybe you've been there. And yet there are some fears that maybe for us seem strange, and yet it reminds us that there are many ways in which we might be afraid. A word called xanthophobia is the fear of the color yellow. 
That's very interesting, isn't it? Heliophobia is the fear of laughter. Don't laugh, okay? Ergophobia is the fear of work. We got a few people like that in our community or culture today. I love this one. Nomophobia is the fear of losing mobile phone service. That'll bless you. Those of you who are students that really don't want to do your math homework, arithmophobia is the fear of numbers. Mom, I just can't do my homework. I'm afraid of the numbers. But my personal favorite is pantherophobia, which is the fear of your mother-in-law, right? I don't... The point is, is that there's many things that might cause us fear, and there's many ways in which fear might impact our life. And, and while we might look at some of that and we can relate, and some of those we might look, like, look at and we may not personally understand because that's not our personal fear or struggle, the truth is we all face various fears. And that fear can impact us in so many ways in our life, including spiritually. It can be in our fear that we fail to go forward with the Lord. It can be in our fear that we refuse to have faith. It can be in our fear that we do something that we know is wrong because we fear the outcome of what happens if we actually do what's right. Fear can hinder us in so many ways. And we see that loud and clear in the life of Simon Peter in the passages of scripture that will unfold this morning. I want you to see three things this morning about this failure of fear. The first thing I want you to see this morning is what I'm gonna call a foolish self-confidence. A foolish self-confidence. Look with me at Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35. This is Jesus. He is with the disciples. He's in the upper room. He has instituted the Lord's Supper, and we pick up the story in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, this is to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Don't forget that verse. Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, listen to this statement, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. A foolish self-confidence. It probably seems strange this morning to have a message on the failure of fear and to begin with a point, frankly, about confidence, but that's where the story begins. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is there in the upper room with his disciples. He has literally in this moment been preparing them for the reality that his time to depart was near. He was soon to be dying for the sins of the world. They didn't fully understand that, but he had been preparing them for this moment. There, as they have what we know today as this Last Supper, Jesus took some common, ordinary elements of bread and of a cup. He broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood. It's being shed for your sins. And he gave this, these simple elements as a reminder of the sacrifice that he was going to give. We're going to observe that in just a moment here at the end of this service together. And there in the midst of that, Jesus looks at them and says something startling and sobering. He says, this very night, you will all fall away. This very night, the idea of falling away literally means you will be scattered. This very night, because of what's going to transpire, you are going to flee from me. You are going to be, in many ways, afraid. In fact, you're, even your heart is going to be filled with various doubts and questions and uncertainties. And it's there in that moment as Jesus makes this statement that Simon Peter, in his self-confidence, brings his rebuttal. He says three things, according to this passage of scripture, and another that we'll see in just a moment, three things that show his self-confidence. First thing he said was this, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Even as we hear this phrase, I believe we catch a glimpse of the possible pride that was in his heart. No doubt, Peter genuinely believed in Jesus that he was the Savior. He had already confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. However, his commitment to Jesus in this moment was primarily focused on himself. Simon Peter was so sure of himself in this moment that even though Jesus had said, all of you will fall away, he's arguing against the Lord. Not me, Jesus. I, I'm never going to fall away from you. I'm never going to be afraid. I'm never going to be scattered. I'm never going to have doubts and questions and uncertainties in my heart. I don't know about you, but for me, it is mind-boggling to me to even though he knew Jesus was Lord, he still argued with him. Jesus said all would fall away, but Peter said, uh-uh, not me. 
And then he went on to say, Jesus looked at them and said, truly I say to you, Peter, this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus was very specific in this. He said, listen, truly this is gonna happen. In other words, it's like verily, verily, I'm absolutely certain, Peter, this is gonna happen. And not only is it gonna happen, it's gonna happen this very night. And not only is it gonna happen this very night, I want you to know, Simon Peter, when the rooster crows, you'll remember the words that I've spoken to you. And yet still, Simon Peter, in his self-confidence, looks at Peter and says, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. That's the third statement that Peter made in Luke chapter 22, verse 33. It says it this way. Peter said, Lord, I am ready, ready to go with you both to prison and to death. What I want to see very clearly is Simon Peter's self-confidence, if you will. It's like he's looking at Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, I'm with you. I've got your back. I will never fail you. I'm not gonna be afraid. I'm not gonna be ashamed. No matter what comes your way, Jesus, I've got your back. I'm with you every step of the way. While his actions were likely noble and well-intentioned, they were also very foolish and dangerous. Philippians chapter three, verse three, reminds us of that clear warning that you and I today are to put no confidence in our flesh. Because we put our confidence in ourselves. We are gonna be destined for failure. Perhaps there are times in our own lives that we have also been certain of our abilities, our skills, our boldness, our courage, our commitments, and maybe even confident in our convictions, so much so that we would make statements like this. Well, I would never do such and such. Well, I would never make such a poor decision. Well, I would never get to that low place. I would never be so weak to do such a thing. The truth is today it can be very easy at times in our ignorance and self-righteousness to boast of our abilities and assume that we are better than we actually are. But I remind us today, especially as we look at the life of Simon Peter, that we are nothing without the power of Christ within us. The apostle Paul was looking at the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and he was looking at a people, frankly, it was the most corrupt church of the entire New Testament. And yet they were so sure of themselves. They thought they were fine. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, the apostle Paul looks at them and he reminds them of an old illustration of the Israelites, how they had hardened their hearts and they thought they were fine because they were in covenant relationship with God. But the truth is they were rebellious against God. They had a proud heart against God. And as a result of that, their life began to be filled with all sorts of idolatry. And it's in that context that the apostle Paul penned these words in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. That phrase, take heed, literally means to watch carefully, to, to be vigilant, to be continually on the lookout. Let him who thinks he stand take heed that he does not fall. In other words, if you're so certain of your ability to stand strong, to stand firm in your convictions, to honor God every step of the way, you need to recognize for a moment, we've got to be vigilant, we've got to be watchful, we've got to give careful attention to, to make sure that we too do not fall. We may think that we are standing strong, that we're incapable of ever falling short, that we're incapable of the type of things that we'll see in Simon Peter in a moment, but the weaknesses of our flesh and the constant attack of the enemy remind us that our confidence must only be in the Lord. It's interesting to me that the very next book that he would write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul would clarify that when he says this, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. In our lives as a follower of Jesus, let our boasting not be in our abilities or our skills or our strength or our opportunity to do the good thing and to live a righteous life, but instead to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that we are nothing without the power and presence of Christ within us. There's a foolish self-confidence. But secondly, we see so commonly, a fallen sinner, a fallen sinner. See, Jesus in this moment knew Simon Peter better than he knew himself. Peter was so certain, Jesus, I've got this. I'm not gonna fail you. I'm not gonna deny you. I'm not gonna flee. I'm not gonna be afraid or ashamed. But as we look to Luke chapter 22, turn your Bibles there, we see the reality of where Simon Peter was. 
Of course, after Jesus had this time there in the upper room, Jesus led the disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas, of course, went through the process of going to the chiefs and the chief priests and the scribes and going through the process of betraying Jesus. But Jesus led the other disciples out into the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he invited them further with him, Peter, James, and John, and he invited them, asking them to watch and to pray. Jesus went, and the Bible says that he prayed. He knew that his time was at hand. He bore that agony knowing he was about to die on the cross for the sins of the world, and yet he came back and he looked at them and he realized they were completely asleep. He asked them the question, could you not watch with me for just one hour? Truly the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus went off a little further to pray again and he came back and once again found that the disciples, Peter, James, and John, the others, they were asleep. And Jesus looks at them and says, listen, I want you to pray that you do not enter temptation. The hour of your temptation is at hand. I want you to pray that you don't go into this trap. Jesus goes away again to pray. He comes back to find once again, they've missed the moment. They've missed the urgency of the situation and they've fallen asleep in prayer. Finally, by the third time, Jesus says, get up. My betrayer's at hand. Judas comes there in the darkness of night. He betrays Jesus and he identifies them with a kiss on his cheek. Here come the guards and they've got their swords and everything drawn. And Jesus goes peacefully without any sort of defense or rebuttal. The Bible tells that all the disciples in this moment fled. They were afraid, but not Simon Peter. He, he followed Jesus from a distance all the way as Jesus is there standing before the court, which by the way, means for us the entire thing was staged and planned. All of this happened under the shade of night. All of this, even by Jewish law, was completely illegal. How did the courts come together so quickly? What an odd irony that the entire court and all the officials were gathered in the same place at the same exact moment. It's not ironic at all. It was all staged and planned for the purpose of crucifying Jesus. So here is Jesus and he goes before uh, Caiaphas, he goes before the high priest, he goes before the court and Peter is following in a distance there in the courtyard and we pick up the story in Luke chapter 22 verses 54 through 61. Notice what the Bible says. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him said, this man was with him too. But Peter denied it saying, woman, I did not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, you're one of them too. But Peter said, man, I am not. After about an hour passed, another man began to insist saying, certainly this man also was with him for he is a Galilean too. Peter said, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Listen to this statement, verse 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. I want you to see this fallen sinner the reality is, Peter in this moment, up to this point, has been so sure of himself. Lord, I, I'll never be afraid. I, I'm not going to flee from, from you. I'm never going to be ashamed. After all, Jesus had warned the disciples in Mark chapter four, 8, verse 38, saying this, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Peter wasn't concerned all about that warning. He was certain he would not be ashamed. So here's Peter following from a slight distance. We know from Mark chapter 14 and other gospel accounts of what's taking place in this moment. By the time Peter is there at the courtyard around the fire, Jesus' trial has already begun. They've already begun insulting him. They've already begun falsely accusing him. They've already begun beating him. And Simon Peter from a distance is watching all this unfold. Now there are some who would look at this and say, well, maybe the issue here at hand was, was pride. Maybe Simon Peter had pride in his heart and that's what led to his failure. After all, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. 
But I believe if we consider the context of everything that's going on, the primary indicator of scripture is, no, really the major issue in this moment is that he was afraid. Just like you and I, if we were in that situation, watching the accusations, hearing the insults, seeing our Lord and Savior being beaten, Simon Peter understands in this moment, there's something called guilt by association. Not, not only is he associated with Jesus, but the Bible tells us something interesting. Jesus had already been preparing the disciples for not only his own persecution, his own death, but also the persecution that they would experience for proclaiming the name of Jesus. John 15, verse 19 and 20, listen to how Jesus warned the disciples. He says, listen, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world and I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world just loves you and accepts you. No. The world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, listen to this statement, they will also persecute you. Christians, we should not be surprised when we face suffering for the cause of Christ. We should anticipate it when we stand strong for the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus prepared us and warned us of this very thing. Simon Peter was there when Jesus made this statement in Matthew 24, verse nine. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and they will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Peter heard those words. He believed those words. And here in this moment, as he sees Jesus, his Lord and Savior, here in this moment, as he sees himself being beaten and he begins to realize the outcome of what is likely, he looks at the pressure within his own heart. And in this moment of fear, he does the very thing he said he would never do. Can you imagine the scene as the first person comes up? Hey, we saw you, you were with Jesus. No, 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 not me, I don't even know that guy. The second per person comes up, wait, wait a second, we know, we, we've seen you with him, we were there, we, whenever Jesus fed the 5,000 and all these other miracles, we saw you there with him. And the Bible says, and according to Matthew's account, he not only said, I don't know him, but he gave his oath, which means he adamantly promised, absolutely, I do not, I have never even known him. And finally, the third person an hour later comes and says, surely you were Jesus, you were a Galilean, you talk just like him. And the Bible says that Peter was so adamant in his denial that according to Matthew's account, he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. What we have here is a picture of a man who's cursing and swearing, he's angry, he's defensive, he's upset, he's adamantly with everything within him denying Jesus Christ. Peter's completely afraid in this moment. What should have been a badge of honor in knowing Jesus and being one of his disciples was now something he was trying to hide. The fear combined with the environment, combined with the pressure within him, led him to a very low place. The truth, though, is that Simon Peter was not alone in his struggle. In our own human nature, we have all been there, or we can be there, in a split second. Perhaps we've not been in the same exact shoes as Simon Peter, sitting around the fire with strangers, but I imagine that we've all been in similar situations. Perhaps there's been times, for example, when we could have stood up for Jesus, we could have spoken up to, to speak of his name, to share the gospel with others, and yet maybe instead we were ashamed and we gave in to silence instead. Perhaps God has given us moments to be a bright light for Jesus, to live our life being transformed by the Holy Spirit within us instead of being conformed to the world, but instead of shining bright for Jesus, instead in those moments of pressure and fear, we gave in to the temptation, we gave in to the pressure of the crowd, we gave in to the moment around us, and instead of representing Christ, we begin to look more like the world. Maybe there have been times for each of our lives where we have been ashamed of Jesus, afraid to trust him and afraid to walk in obedience, uncertain of what the consequence might be. The truth is, in a moment like this, it's easy to look at Simon Peter and ask, Peter, how could you? Look at all that Jesus has done for you. Look at all the time that he's spent. Look at all the investment that he's given. Look at all the love that he's shown. Look at all that he's poured out into you. How could you fall? How could you mess up? How could you deny Jesus? The truth of the matter is today, before we hurl those words of accusation, I think we must be careful to look in the mirror first. 
Maybe in our human nature, we're a lot more like Simon Peter than we care to admit. I remind us this morning that just as Jesus did to the religious leaders of his day, when he said, let him without sin cast the first stone, we need to make sure that we're examining our own hearts and lives to make sure that we are not living in the same fear, that we're not living in the same shame, that we're not living in the same place that Simon Peter was in this moment. The Bible says that as soon as Simon Peter heard that rooster crow, Saw that look in the Lord's eyes as he turned from the court and looked directly locking eyes with Peter. I cannot help but to imagine what Simon Peter felt in that moment. The Bible says immediately, Simon Peter went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. The Bible's giving us a powerful picture of a man who's broken over his sin. A man who is ashamed of what he's done. A man who's blown it and knows it and is grieved over the actions that he has committed. That third thing I want us to see this morning in this pastor scripture, and I hope will be the primary focus of the remainder of this message, is this. I want you to see a faithful savior. A faithful savior. In my mind's eye, I envision Simon Peter weeping and questioning My God, what have I done? How could I have done this? Could God ever forgive me? Is there any hope for me? Will Jesus want anything to do with me after I have so adamantly and aggressively denied him? Is there any hope for me? Truth of the answer is, is that for most of us, if the verdict were left in our hands, there would be no hope. But thank God, for Jesus. He is a faithful savior. I wonder this morning, if you were in Jesus's shoes, how would you have responded to Simon Peter? Think of that for a moment. Think of, if you were Jesus for a moment, the amount of time that you've invested, the amount of love that you've shown, the way that you poured into someone along the way. Jesus had spent years doing life with Simon Peter. They were as much friends and brothers as they were Lord and disciple. How would you respond to someone you so deeply loved, vehemently denied and rejected you? Would you retaliate? Would you write them off, wash your hands of them and be done? Would you walk off into the sunset never to engage again? Would you isolate in fear of being hurt and rejected again in the future? Thank God, God is a God of grace, mercy, and incredible compassion. If Peter's future were in our hands, I fear what the outcome would be. But thank God Peter was not in our hands. He's in God's hands. And thank God when you and I mess up, when we fall short, when we've done the worst of the worst, thank God the verdict is not left up to man, but it's left up to a holy, gracious, merciful, almighty God. Because in this moment, what we see is an incredible, faithful savior. Peter Peter knew in this moment that he had sinned against God. But Jesus knew long before this that Peter was a man just like us. He knew his frame and he was mindful that he was but dust. He knew the temptations that Peter would face. He knew that he would fall short. He knew that he would deny him along the way. He even told him that. Peter in his self-confidence couldn't hear it. What I want you to see is that even though Simon Peter had been unfaithful to the Lord, that did not change the Lord's faithfulness to him. Jesus remained faithful to Peter even when Peter had been unfaithful to him. We see that in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. Listen to these words of scripture. If we are faithless, he remains, what's the next word? Can we all say that together? He remains faithful. For he, listen to this powerful statement, interesting in the context, cannot deny himself. We often like to think that God's gonna treat us as we treat him, but the Bible shows us that God in his grace and his mercy and his compassion, even with Simon Peter, even though he had been faithless, even though he had been fearful, even though he'd been ashamed in this moment, God did not deal with him on the basis of what he'd done, but on the basis of who Jesus was. And on the basis of what Jesus was doing in and for him. 
I want you to see three things that this faithful Savior did to draw Simon Peter back. And my hope and prayer today is simply this, that it will encourage you, that it will bless you, and that if you are in a fallen place like Simon Peter, that God would use this to draw you back close. Three things God did to show that he is a faithful Savior. Number one, he called for Peter. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Mark chapter 16 for just a moment. Mark chapter 16 want to remind us of what has taken place. Jesus, of course, had had that time in the upper room. He had distributed those elements to indicate for the, the disciples there and for us the reminder of the sacrifice that he would give on the cross. Jesus was taken into that illegal trial and there, of course, in the courtyard, Simon Peter denied him adamantly those three times. As he did, the rooster crow, Jesus looked at him. He went away weeping bitterly. Out of that trial, of course, we know that Jesus, Jesus was put before the crowd and Pilate offered, what shall I do with this man? And they cried to release Barabbas, the prisoner, and Jesus instead was sentenced to be crucified. And there Jesus was crucified at Calvary. As he literally went to Mount Calvary, and he spread out his arms and he died on the cross for the sins of the world. And there as he died on the cross for the sins of the world, he cried out as he's bearing the weight of our sin, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That is incredible grace and compassion and mercy. There on the cross, he cries out those final words, Father, it is finished. Not merely his life, but the payment for our sin. Then, of course, after he died and breathed his last, they took his body off of that cross. They put him into a borrowed tomb. Three days later, Jesus rose again from the grave. I'm saying the phrase that he called for Peter because I want us to see something interesting that happened after the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible tells us that the stones go towards the tomb. They were going to prepare the body or to further anoint the body with spices if given the opportunity. And listen to what the Bible says in Mark chapter 16. The Bible says, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. This is an angel. He said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen, and he is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Now, pause for a moment. These ladies are amazed in this moment because they recognize the stone is rolled away, Jesus' body is not here, and the angel is now saying to them, he is risen just like he said, he's alive. And in that amazement, listen to the angel's next words. But go, tell his disciples, what are the next two words? And Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee, there you will see him, just as he told you. In other words, even in this moment, remind you today that the angel was a messenger of God. The angels were always in this context sent to, to declare a message from God. The angel told Mary that she was gonna conceive and have a child. The angel told Joseph, the child that's in Mary's and conceived of the Holy Spirit and this is the son of God. The angel now says, Jesus is alive, he's risen again, He's going to go to Galilee, just like he told you to. There he's going to meet you. So go and tell his disciples and Peter. Why did the angel declare that? Remember, Peter was a disciple. All he had to say was, go tell the disciples to go to Galilee, and they're going to see Jesus. The reason why the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter, is because in this moment, Peter's so likely isolated, separated, ashamed, overwhelmed with feelings of unworthiness, not in the place that he should be. He's in that place thinking that God can never use him again, that God can never forgive him, that he can never be in right relationship, that he could never be the things that God wanted him to be. But God had a plan. He called for him. Go tell the disciples and you make sure you find Simon Peter. Because God has a plan for him. Not only did the Savior call for Peter, he came to Peter. John chapter 20, turn with me there for just a moment. We're gonna look at two other passages and we'll close our time together. John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. 
Jesus, of course, in the upper room had told the disciples, now eventually go to Galilee and there I'm gonna visit with you. And Jesus raises again from the grave. The message from the angels is, Jesus is going to Galilee just like he told you. Go find the disciples and make sure you don't forget Peter. Go find him specifically. And here we find the fulfillment of that as we find that Jesus came to Peter and to the others. Notice what the Bible says, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Pause for just a moment. What's about to happen is extremely important. What would be your first words that you spoke to someone who denied and rejected you? What would be the first words that you spoke to someone that you loved, you poured your life out to and for, only to find that they have denied you vehemently? How would you respond to such hurt and such sin? What would you say? I have to confess that in my humanity, I can think of a lot of things I'd like to say. Some people in my own life that have hurt me that I've had to examine this week and say, have I really forgiven them? What did Jesus say? He stood in their midst and said to them, you're gonna get it now. Nope. He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Someone say, all oh, this word of peace was just a common greeting, perhaps. But I think in this moment, there's much more to it because ultimately what he's showing them in this moment is they're standing with him. He's not holding resentment. He's not holding bitterness. He knows that he has died on the cross for the sins of the world. He knows that he has done his part so that they might be forgiven. He knows that he has done their part so that they might be at peace with God. He knows that he's already paid the price for their sin. But as it relates to Simon Peter, he also knows how Peter has responded to that conviction. When Peter went in that place of weeping bitterly, I believe in that moment what it's demonstrating for us is the extreme brokenness and the extreme repentance that he felt in that moment. He knew he had sinned against God. He knew he had done wrong. He knew that he had grieved the Father and he went away weeping bitterly. Why? Because there was remorse and there was repentance over the things that he has done. When I think of that, I'm reminded of what David said in Psalm 51, verse 17. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Simon Peter couldn't change what he'd done. He couldn't go back and undo it. He couldn't go back and erase the mistakes. But once he realized his sin, once he realized that moment, he could repent of his sin and he could be broken over his sin. He could weep over his sin and in doing so could experience the grace and mercy of God. His actions remind me in some ways of Luke chapter 18 of the man who came before Jesus, before the temple and the Bible says that he was a publican. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he had done wrong. And in great humility, the Bible says he was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but he was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. There's a picture of brokenness and humility as he's asking God for forgiveness and grace. The Bible says at the same time that he was praying, there was a self-righteous Pharisee who was also praying. But his prayer was, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm not like this sinner over here beating his chest and weeping before you. God, I thank you for who you've made me to be. And Jesus said, one man left that day forgiven and justified. And who was it? It was the man who came humble before God. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Peter wept bitterly because he knew that he had sinned. What God is showing us loud and clear is this. God is showing us that we too must be broken of our sin and reap bitterly before God. Peter had failed horribly, but Jesus' grace was greater than his failure. And so Jesus looked at Peter again and said, peace be with you. Final thing Jesus did is this. Jesus commissioned Peter 
to the purposes that God had for his life. Turn to the next chapter, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Having experienced the grace and peace of Jesus, I encourage you this week especially to go read John chapter 21, verses one through eight. Please go read it this week and see the appropriate response. For someone who's been forgiven by the Lord, this is how we should be responding to the Lord today. Go read that this week. John 21, one through eight. If you're at home right now watching online, as soon as we end the service in a moment, read John 21, verses one through eight, and examine and ask yourself, is this how I am responding to Jesus since I've been forgiven? John chapter 21, Jesus has risen again from the grave. He's appeared to many eyewitnesses at this point. And in John chapter 21, the disciples are out on the boat and they're fishing and Jesus has prepared a fire and he's soon to prepare them breakfast and they're to eat together. And there in that moment, look with me at what happens in John 21 verses 15 through 17. Peter, who felt unworthy, who felt ashamed, Peter who questioned, could God ever forgive him Could God ever use him again? Listen to what Jesus says in verses 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, You know that I love you. He said to him, then shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. In other words, on these three occasions, Jesus looks at Peter the question, Peter, Do you really love me? I want to remind us today that love, especially as you go into Valentine's Day, it's not just an emotion. It's not a feeling that comes and goes. It's not all that we've made it out to be in our culture. Love is not about our feelings so much as it is about our faithful acts of commitment and sacrifice. It's about giving of oneself. Simon Peter, do you really love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then Peter, Minister to my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then Peter, shepherd my sheep, my people, my children, the followers of me, those who believe in me, Peter. Peter, do you truly love me? Are you truly faithful? Are you truly committed? Are you truly willing to give your all for me? Lord, you know that I love you. Then Peter, you be sure to take care of my sheep. The wonderful amazement of God's grace and compassion is that not only did Jesus call for him, not only did Jesus come to him, but Jesus commissioned him and reminded him, Peter, I not only am gonna forgive you, but I'm gonna be working in you and through you for my glory and purposes. You have felt unworthy. You have felt ashamed. You have wondered if it was hopeless, but I want you to know, Peter, I'm a faithful savior and I have greater things in store. You just be faithful along the way. I cannot help but to be reminded in this moment that Simon Peter, from this point forward, the rest of his life would not be perfect, but he would be faithful. The rest of his life would be spent living in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, even to the very end when he would die a martyr's death for proclaiming and preaching the name of Jesus Christ. To close this message today, thinking about this love for Jesus and this commitment to his sheep, I can't help but to remember a time years earlier when Jesus was sitting in a house, a place where no one had washed his feet, though that was the custom of the day, The Bible says there was a woman who came into the room. Frankly, in the town, she was a well-known sinner. But she was broken. She was grieving. 
The Bible says she was so grieving that she, she wept before the Lord and her tears fell at his feet and she was so humbled and broken over her sin that the Bible says she literally took her hair and there she washed Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she took an alabaster vial of precious ointment and she broke it and she anointed the feet of Jesus. And frankly, the self-righteous people at the table criticized her, second-guessed her action of love and devotion. But Jesus looked at them and said, he who's forgiven much loves much. He who's forgiven little loves little. It's a powerful truth. But when you add that to the reality of what Jesus is teaching Simon Peter in this moment, we're also reminded that he who loves much serves much. Not for selfish attention, not for vainglory, not for the approval or the attention of man, but simply because we love Jesus. What I'm wondering this morning is this. When the Lord looks at the Big C Church today, when the Lord looks at each of our individual lives today, if he were asking the question, Simon Peter, Sir, ma'am, do you love me? What would our answer be? And maybe even more sobering, what would the evidence of our life say? If we love him, why are we often more concerned about our comforts and conveniences than we are in serving him? If we love him, why are we more concerned about what the world says and what's happening in social media and what's happening on the news reports than we are getting in his word and seeing what God is saying? If we love him, why are we so focused on self and not on him as the savior? Truth of the matter is we have a faithful, wonderful, gracious savior who knew Peter's brokenness and in spite of that, he drew him back to a place of grace, mercy, forgiveness, but not only that, to a place of purpose and mission for the rest of his life. I want to encourage us this morning, all of the building to consider, do we love the Lord? Have we been forgiven? If you're in a place today where you need God's forgiveness and grace, I want to remind you, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can experience that personally in our lives today. But I want to encourage you, if you've been forgiven and you know you're in a right relationship with God, thank him for it. But let's demonstrate our love for him, not by how loud we sing or by what we boldly profess, but by how we live our life in absolute obedience and surrender to him. Let's pray together. Here in the room, people watching online, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are a God of mercy and compassion. Lord, I hear this message. I think of this message with Simon Peter, how you didn't throw him away. You didn't wash your hands of him. I, I confess, God, that if I were, were you in your shoes, I, I, I would have been so probably harsh and critical. But you are a God of grace and of mercy and of compassion. And when I see how you interacted with Simon Peter, how you called out to him, how you went to visit with him and said, peace be with you, how you even commissioned him to your purposes, I, I find myself overwhelmed because you've not only done that for him, you've done that for me, you've done that for us. You're calling us today to be in right relationship with you so that we might go forward living our lives changed as a living testimony of the power of your grace, your redemption, your restoration. Have your way in our hearts and lives, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, right where you're sitting today. What is it today that God is speaking into your heart and into your life? This morning, is there anything in your life that you need to confess to God and seek his forgiveness and his grace in? 
Is there any area of your life where, frankly, you feel ashamed? In this moment, you feel unworthy, maybe even to be sitting here or to be listening. Maybe it wasn't the sin of denying Jesus like Simon Peter did, but loud and clear, you know where the area of guilt is. If that's you this morning, I want to remind you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Every sin you'd ever commit. 1 John 1, 9 invites us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even as Peter was broken over his sin, I ask you right now, would you just confess that sin to God and ask him to forgive you and cleanse you? Right now. In the spirit of silence, even as you sit there in that seat, would you ask for God's forgiveness? But secondly, I want to ask you, do you really love Jesus? And is there evidence in your life that demonstrates that your profession is true? This morning, I want to encourage you, if you can think of ways that it's lacking and ways in which God wants it to grow, right now, would you just simply confess your love and devotion to the Lord? Say, Lord, I love you. I want to be faithful to you. And I want to do my part and edifying and building up your sheep, the church. God, I want to be faithful to fulfill the purpose that you've created and saved me for. Have your way in me. Father, I thank you for your love for us and I thank you for your grace. Thank you that you don't throw us away, but you draw us to yourself, that we might experience your grace, that we might walk in right relationship with you, but we also go from here to serve you well and to be your hands and feet in this community, in this church, and beyond. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.